We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31 today. So you can just open there. Uh, it's also going to be on the screens as well. This passage is incredible. It presents the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, as the climax of all of Scripture, beginning from Genesis until Jesus. So although it's so good and I'm so excited to preach on it, it it's also extremely intimidating because there's so many different ways you can go with it and so much to cover in a very short amount of time. Uh, I called Heath for a little moral support, and uh, his, his advice went something like, uh, you know, you're going to be in over your head no matter what you do, so <laughs> you should be glad that it's like all the way so that you would not be tempted to try to make it happen yourself. You're going to rely on God. And that's, in fact, what this is all about. This entire passage is about how God is going to change our hearts so that instead of relying on ourselves for our own salvation, he's going to change that, and, and he's going to accomplish that salvation for us, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's going to change everything. And who doesn't love a good plot twist? I mean, makes it such a, such a good movie. The best movies are the ones with the best plot twists. They have to be believable. You never see them coming. And then they reveal just fundamental epic truths that are just so different than what your assumptions were going into it. And then if you look back, there's always signs of that plot twist to come. But you never fully see it until it happens. That's what God's going to do today with the gospel. Over thousands of years of human history, he's building this, this story, all leading to this one moment of Jesus, where he simultaneously punishes our rebellion against him and adopts us as his own children. That's good news. Let's read the passage all the way through, and then uh, we'll come back to it piece by piece. Romans 3.21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? A law of works? No, by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The word of God. Let's pray. God, would you be with, would you be with us this morning, as we dig into your word, the word you have for us today about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. God, let us only hear that word today about what you have done for us, your provision for us, 
and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord. Be with me as I speak this word and just help me to speak it clearly without distractions so that the full weight of it would, 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 would sit on us today. Lord, we need you, I need you, and we, we trust you and we love you. Amen. We're going to do three things today. We're going to see why the Israelites failed to follow the law of God, the good and perfect law that he gave to them through Moses. We're going to see how Jesus paid the penalty for all sins, past sins, present, and future. And we're also going to see how he removed our guilt, how he restored our relationship with God. Nothing else. Our passage begins with this, with this word, but. It's the most innocent transition word in all of Scripture because it seems like such a simple word, but it always signifies some kind of shift, usually an enormous one, and today is no different. But means a transition from everything that came before, specifically chapters 1 through 3 of Romans that Heath has been preaching on these last few weeks, chapters that appear to be terrible news. The church in Rome, both the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians, and the Jewish Christians are failing to live up to the perfect law of God. They're, we'll see how they do that in a minute. But now the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. That's the transition. Paul opens his letter in, in, to the Romans in um, chapter 1, verse 16. He introduces the gospel. This is his thesis statement for the entire letter to come. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He doesn't explain what the gospel is at this point. He just introduces it and leaves it hanging and moves immediately into the bad news. Romans 2.12. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So whether you are Gentile outside of the law, or whether you are Jew with the law, you have fallen short. Bad news. Romans 2.29, a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So the Jewish Christians in Rome were relying on their physical obeying of the law. Okay, we do these things, therefore we are saved, and everybody else should do these things too, including the Gentiles, in order to be saved. That's what they believed. That's what they wanted to have happen because that's easier for them. It's easy for them to control and to kind of own their own, you know, to create their own salvation. But it's a matter of the heart, Paul is saying. In fact, so the Jews were hypocrites. They were doing something, but they weren't living out the full implications and weight of the law. Let's, let's see what Jesus has to say about it. Matthew chapter 23. This entire chapter is incredible. I can't read it all, but it's amazing. He's just tearing apart the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the elite religious rulers of, 
the ancient Israelite culture. Verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you have ought to have done without neglecting the others. So they're tithing out spices, like, to the church. Like, okay, you get these spices. And, and then, like, there's widows and orphans who are starving. Justice, mercy. They missed the point of the law. Hypocrites. Finally, Romans 3, 10 and 11. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. So what happened? The Jews have thousands of years with the law. The perfect, the good and perfect law of God who, re- who reveals, it reveals his character. Did they just underperform? We'll see what happened. And why the law in the first place? Romans 3.20 gives us a hint. Paul says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in its sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the purpose, the ultimate purpose of the law is to is to reveal to us our own sin. We're going to see that play out. What is sin? You got to go back to the beginning on this. You got to go to the gar- the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, Garden of Eden, different garden. <laughs> you get what you pay for when, with preaching here. Um, the Garden of Eden in Genesis three, Eve is going to have a conversation with Satan. Eve says, but God said. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this is the original sin. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's original because it's the first sin that man commits against God, but it's also the basis, the root of all sin committed against God, both then and now. And that is that we want to be like God. We see this play out in our day-to-day interactions with other people. And um, we want to be able to know the difference between good and evil and judge for ourselves which is which. Original sin. That's what sin is. And so when God and the people of Israel are given these, uh, the law, the perfect law of God, these external rules become, they manipulated, they, they twist them so that it's something that they can do, something that they can accomplish to win their salvation. And it begins an endless cycle of sin and repentance and sin and repentance and God bails them out, but then they sin again. And, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. We come to our passage. All of scripture leads to this moment. It's a, it's a total bombshell. And imagine what the, it would have been like for a Jew to be following this law your entire life and your ancestors did it and for thousands of years back, but now the righteousness of God manifests apart from the law. How would you hear that? It's incredible. A little side note, I love this word now, but now. I love it because it's always true throughout all time. When Paul said it, now, it was true then. 
And as we read it today, now the righteousness of God is still true. And it's true now. I love that. It speaks to like the eternal nature of this promise. So now we're going to look into the gospel. We've come to our passage. We'll dig into specifically some definitions and uh, exactly what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus, and what it's done for us. Righteousness simply means right standing before God. And that's important before God because it's very different than self-righteousness. That's right standing before yourself. We're tempted to want right standing before ourselves as, as the Jewish Christians in Rome were. Paul is declaring a different kind of righteousness. The righteousness of God is manifested. I love this word, manifested. The simple definition is made apparent, made clear, to prove or declare. There's something called a cargo manifest where on the side of a shipping container there's a document that says everything that's inside the container. It's declaring what's inside the container. So you don't have to tear it out and look. You can, you can see it on a page. It's declaring what's in there to any authority that might want to see that. There's another definition. Manus is the, is the Latin root manifested. Manus means hand, which in the ancient world means power. And so power, and then fested is the root of infested. So power infested. So it sounds like a negative thing because infested is something like termite infestation, you know? And so that's true. It means to live in. It means to overwhelm. But what if the thing that is living in and overwhelming is the righteousness of God? That's a good thing. The power of the righteousness of God, living in, overwhelming, made apparent, made clear to everybody. All of that's in one word. I love that. Moving on in our verse. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The law and the prophets is a term, it's a term that refers to the entire Old Testament. Specifically, how do the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God? Let's pull up Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. I'm jumping through a lot of verses here. Don't, don't try to chase me down. Um, but they just, they, just, they just like start the runway for us into our verse. This is beautiful. Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. Remember that husband part, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Sin forgotten. New law, new covenant. So why the law, why the original law in the first place? Is this like plan B? Is Jesus like, you know, gospel 2.0 or something? Um, we're going to get there. These are important questions. Back to our verse, 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
Salvation is received by faith in Jesus, not, not what you do. So what if someone doesn't believe? Will they be saved? It's a common question that comes up and a hard one. The best example I can think of is this. If I tell you that I buried a suitcase full of cash in the parking lot and hand you a shovel, it's for you, dig it up, and you don't believe me, and you don't take the shovel, do you receive the cash? You don't, even though I put it there for you. But if you do believe me and you dig it up, now you're rich. Your faith is what, and what I told you is true, is what is the pathway by which you become rich. Fun fact about this, one I've never considered before, is that it's actually not your faith that makes you rich, it's the cash, right? Your faith is the pathway by which you are saved regarding the gospel. But it doesn't, your faith itself doesn't actually save you. Because if it did, then it's like you are winning your salvation. You are like, it's a different kind of salvation, self-salvation. Faith is essential, don't get me wrong. There's no other path. Let me catch up with myself for a second. Faith itself does not earn you the privilege of salvation. God did that. Moving on in our passage, going into 23. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You, you, you catch who put forward Christ Jesus as salvation. God did that. God put forward as a propitiation. Propitiation means satisfaction, payment for the penalty that our sin deserves. That's what propitiation means. So God put forward our salvation. That's good news because I think we've all been in, in places before where we felt like our faith is gone just due to life circumstances. And during those times, you can have confidence that it's, since it's not your faith that, that earned you your salvation, God did that, you can't lose it either. You can't lose it when, when your faith is challenged. And you can trust that God will bring you back. Moving on in the passage. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness. There's a theme here. His righteousness, not yours, his. At this present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is two things. He is just. We know that the just judge always contemns, condemns the guilty and acquits the innocent. He does both of those things perfectly. So God is just and he is justifier. What is a justifier? What is justification is a word that keeps coming up in this passage. It's a legal term. It means a good and legal reason for your actions or your failure to act. So if you commit a crime and go before the court, a one 
defense that you can make is justification. Like, yes, I did this thing, but I was justified because of like this other circumstance, right? So an example of this, kind of just a fun example. So my wife expects me to do the dishes and I fail to do the dishes, right? There's two ways I can go. I can either say, you're right, I'm sorry. I failed to do the dishes. Will you forgive me? And she might forgive me. And therefore, my apology would propitiate my sin, right? But I still did it. And that, that guilt is still on me, right? It's a weighty thing. But what if I'm justified? What if my answer instead is the reason I didn't do the dishes is I spent my time cleaning the entire house and now I'm going to do the dishes? That's a totally different thing because now I'm not guilty. There's no guilt there because like, my heart was for what she wanted and now she's not going to be mad at me. She's going to be happy. She's going to probably thank me. So that's the difference. That's what justification actually removes guilt. Jesus is our propitiation. He pays the penalty for our sin. And then God is going to justify us. How does he do this? He's going to remove our guilt. One important point. The example breaks down a little bit in that with the gospel. It's not your sin that's justified. It's you. You're separated from the penalty of your sin, and you're separated from the guilt of your sin. But the sin is still punished. The sin is still condemned with the death of Jesus. There's, a, there's an example of this in Scripture. I'm not going to read it because I'll, I'll just give you a high-level overview. It's Hosea, the prophet Hosea. It, it's just so rich and so dense that we'll be here all day if I, if I open it up. But I encourage you to go look. At the beginning of the book of Hosea, God commands the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. And uh, she's going to continue to be a prostitute in this marriage. And this will serve as an example of what Israel is doing before God. And as you can imagine, it goes horrible. She has children out of her sin. Her children are given names like no mercy is one of the children's names, not loved, and not my people. So you can see what God's doing here. He's showing Israel what they've been doing to him. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, there's this unbelievable twist. And God says, I will win Israel back to me. I will bring her into the wilderness. I will allure her and she will love me again like she did in the beginning days when I brought her out of Egypt. And God commands Hosea to go and buy her, his wife back. She's living with another man, and he pays a price for her and brings her back, not as a slave, because he redeems her in the same way that you would redeem a slave, but he will not bring her back as a slave. He will bring her back as his wife, and he will restore that relationship. So we get a picture for what God is going to do with us, and it's the greatest plot twist of all time. How can a marriage survive adultery? It's so hard, 
um, two things that I see from this passage is that there has to be some kind of propitiation, some kind of satisfaction for the sin that's been committed, some kind of reconciliation there. Then also going forward, if we're going to continue in this marriage, what basis will we continue on? How will we love each other again and have a real marriage? Because you can't just stay where you are. You can't just stay with that guilt on your head. You have to have, you have to restore that love. And so God is going to do both of these things for us. He's going to be just. He's going to punish that sin. He's going to remove it from us. And he is going to justify. He's going to remove the guilt. That's incredible. He's going to make it possible for us to love him again. The law was perfect. How will he do this? The law was perfect, but the Israelites were not. And so they failed. Why the law? I think maybe we see it now. God gives them the law so that ultimately they would fail to follow it. It's so ironic. But when we come to this moment, there's thousands of years of history showing that you cannot win your own salvation no matter what. They were given every advantage. God sets them apart as their own people. He provides everything for them. He works enormous miracles to provide for them. And uh, he gives them their perfect law. He bails them out time and time again. But even then, they cannot win their own salvation by the law, by their own efforts to follow and do the things of the law. Thousands of years later, their leaders are dividing spices. And widows and orphans are starving on the streets. And so looking at this, the righteousness of God is manifested. We're prepared to, to receive Jesus. It takes thousands of years, but God does this so that we can be in a place and say, yes, this is the only way. That's an amazing thing. He's not some divine dictator who's going to just like change some chemicals in our brains to like force us to love him again. He's going to put us he's going to win us back. He's going to prepare us to love him again in the way that we were originally made to in the garden of Eden. Paul's going to help us apply this today in verse 27. What becomes of our boasting in light of this? What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by a law of works? <laughs> no, by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. No boasting, no privilege or self-created salvation. We left God, but he made it possible for the relationship to be restored. What actions do we place our faith in? Are you a good person? Are you successful and generous? Are you involved in church activities? All of these things are, are good things. But God made it possible for you to accomplish all of them. They are results of your salvation. They are not salvation. Verse 29. 
Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also. Since God is the one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. So what identities do we place our faith in? Paul is referring specifically to the identity that the Jewish Christians were claiming in Rome. That they were the Jewish people and that the Gentiles had to become Jewish as well in order to be saved. God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. He does not require you to do the things that the Jews were doing to be saved. He does not require you to identify with the Jewish culture at the time. So what identities do we place our faith in? National identity, racial, socioeconomic, or religious identities? There's only one identity that matters. It's child of God. There's only one way that can be accomplished, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The irony of this is that being saved apart from the law by the righteousness of Jesus is the only way to actually fulfill the law, the good and perfect law that he gave us in the beginning. Our struggle with original sin is no different than the Israelites. It's what returns us time and time again to the desire to save ourselves. Time and time again, we want to be God instead of accepting God as God. It gets a little grim because you get into this cycle of sin and repentance and sin and repentance and sin, but God. But now, the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. Now and now and now and forever. It's good news. God paid the penalty for our sin through the death of Jesus, and he has restored the relationship justifying us with his perfect love now and forever. This truth we can rest in and allow God to restore you, to, to restore us and to change us in every way. Let's pray. God, will you do that today? Will you cause us to be changed by your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? his death and resurrection, the ultimate provision for us, Lord. You have done this. You have made a way for us when there was no way to be had before. Lord, you are good. You have done this. It's a miracle, and we just praise you today. I just stand in awe before you like that you have done this thing. Help us to respond, Lord. Help us to, to respond to what you have done for us. You alone are God. We love you.